Greetings, you're listening to Technically a Conversation, a podcast where we share an interesting topic or story with each other and hope you find it interesting as well. I'm one half of your host, Jose, and I'm joined, as always, by my lovely co-host, Isela. How are you doing today? I'm doing fabulous. How are you doing? Good. Good. We took a little break from recording podcasts, so even though it was only two weeks, it feels like it was an eternity. Like, I feel like I'm relearning how to do this shit again. Yes, I agree. I feel like even just regular things, like, how do you type out a script again? I'm like, what did I start out with? How? <laughs> it was so weird. Yeah, definitely. But it's good to be back in the saddle, as the kids say. I Yeah, I, I want to say the kids might say that. <laughs> now before we get started i wanted to remind everyone about our contest if you want to be super cool and help us out just leave us a review what should they do again isela they should leave us a review send us a screenshot to one of our many socials that's right we're at greetings tac everywhere once you get 25 reviews We'll do a drawing and give the winner a Technically a Conversation shirt. So check out technicallyaconversation.com for the 411 or just check out the show notes. I also want to take this time to shout out a few of our super friends. So a special shout out to Elena, Erica, and Irene for sharing our post in their Instagram stories. And I do want to give a special shout out to this last one that Erica posted. She put a Gloria Trevi song on the Elizabeth Bathory story. And I've been singing, Esa hembra es mala, esa hembra se daño, esa hembra no quiere, esa hembra te miente. All day I've been singing that song. It was pretty fitting. Yes. If you know Spanish, it is pretty fitting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Also, an update on the Arby's Curly Fry Vodka. Sadly, it is sold out. Like fast. Metallica in the 90s mm. and early aughts or naughties for our British listeners. Naughties. Although Death Magnetic was pretty decent, even though the production was an afterthought. But there's still Dunkin' Donuts beer that we can look for and try and do a review on. Yeah. yeah. I And I will preface with um, sweet, sweet. Mother of mercy. Yeah. Sweet beers are not really like my jam. They're not really like my jizzam. But, mm-hmm. you know, anything to... Anything to try and, uh, you know, before you guys actually try it, we can let you know how great or shitty it really is. I thought you were going to say anything to trick more of our super friends to watch our videos. (laughs) (laughs) That's almost true, too. (laughs) Now, speaking of our international listeners, we received an email on Saturday from something called Pod Status to inform us that we were ranked at number 165 in the educational category in Bulgaria. Sadly, there are only 165 educational podcasts in Bulgaria. So (laughs) actually, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. That sucks. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, I have no idea how many educational podcasts are in Bulgaria, but being ranked in anything is still a success in my book. I want to say I'm going to take it and I'm going to celebrate it. Like, had I known this, we probably should have busted out some beers earlier. But Some Dunkin' Donuts beers, to be more precise. We do got to find that. I am intrigued. Just, I, I'm going to say just for the story, you know. You do it for the story sometimes. <laughs> for the Instagram story, that's right. No, no, no. 
Before you go on, I did want to say that there is a brand new super friend, friend of the show now. It is Alejandro, and uh, also here from El Paso, Texas. So I want to say thank you very much for listening to us. Thank you so much, Alejandro. Yay. And there was somebody else that you wanted to shout out, right? Oh, he goes by the name of Brex. So maybe that's where you thought of a different name. That was exactly why I thought of a different name. That could have been it. <laughs> that, and I'm also kind of crazy, so. We're all crazy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so on this episode, Super Friends, we're going to do something a little different. We're actually breaking protocol. Mm-hmm. We're not only breaking protocol, we've activated protocol number 52. <laughs> this episode was a suggestion by Super Friend Eli. Thank you so much for your suggestion. Thank you, Eli. And since we're doing a super friend suggested topic, we're going to divide this episode into two parts. The first part will be Fermi's paradox, which will be handled by Isela. Mm-hmm. After the break, I'll explain the Drake equation, which will make sense after Isela gives you the DL on the FP. Whoa. <laughs> that was a lot of uh, initials, but <laughs> I get it. A lot of acronyms. I get it. So are you ready to get started? I am. Are you ready? I'm ready. (laughs) Okay, great. (laughs) First thing is first, let's lay down the foundation. Who invented this wacky paradox? An Italian named Enrico Fermi, who created also the first nuclear reactor, came up with this widely known theory in science. Perhaps not to us outside of the study of astronomy, but in the study of science and astronomy, this is a pretty widely known theory. It is called the Fermi Paradox, and it's basically a fancy way of saying, hey, if our universe is so large and we're just circling a regular old average sun, why have we found no evidence of other intelligent life forms? That's really all it's saying. And I do mean average. As far as the stars are concerned, We're not circling like the Bradley Cooper of stars. Like, are you kidding? He's handsome. He can act. He can sing. He can like play ping pong like amazing. I'm talking super average. Think about your graduating senior class. It's that poor girl that you probably don't remember. That's who we're circling. (laughs) Sure. This one guy, Enrico Fermi, is the one who thought about this. But how does everybody else feel about this idea? In general, the science community does agree in theory there should be other intelligent life forms out there. Let's go over a couple of reasons. The simple fact that our universe is so big is reason enough for us curious humans to create the SETI and start searching. So SETI, it stands for Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence. It has been using radio telescopes for the last 60 years. And it's basically just listening for other potential radio signals that might be transmitted by other intelligent life. So why radio waves, right? Why, why are we even using radio? This sounds like super old. Like, can't we use something else way cooler? Radio waves actually can be passed through interstellar gas and dust, which is largely comprised of all these galaxies. And it passes through with absolutely no issue. And just to show you how how strong these radio waves are and how far away we can actually gather them from. If you guys remember the black hole picture that was taken a couple years ago, that was actually taken from radio waves. And that picture was taken from 54 million light years away. 
even just saying 54 million light years sounds like completely insane. So in regards to the SETI, uh, you probably also remember it from if you watch the movie Contact. Jill Tarter, she is the director of SETI. She's the woman that was based on the character that Jodie Foster played. If you want to look her up, she she has a lot of really good points. I, I don't know exactly how everybody feels about the SETI for whatever reason. It started out, it seemed like it had a very good popular opinion. And for whatever reason, I feel like there's been less and less funding, you know, which is causing the search, even though it's been around for 60 years, the search is still kind of dwindling. It's becoming a little bit scant just because of the just because of the funding, but it does seem like it's going down in popularity. So 60 years, right? That seems like a lot. So it does beg the question, why have we not heard anything yet in these last 60 years? We have to put the universe really into context. If the universe was all the water on earth, we have looked at about less than a cup of water. (laughs) Therefore, it would be like hearing about sharks existing And then we only look at a cup of water and we say, oh, well, we haven't seen any sharks, so they probably don't exist. (laughs) So far, we just haven't reviewed enough yet. Other reasons that we think they should be out there and they should be beaming back to us is we're kind of basing it on our civilization, on how we behave, how we think they should behave. So when we look at modern day civilization, technological advancements, This is one of the things we think, hey, they're probably trying to get in touch with us, just like we are trying to get in touch with them. Hence, we keep searching for other beaming signals. However, what if they're just not curious? What if curiosity is really just a human trait? Most scientists think that intelligence and curiosity actually go hand in hand. I would personally agree. We really don't know. Other tools that we're using beyond radio telescopes are the Kepler Space Telescope to look at patterns of dips in brightness and other stars. This would signify that a star is orbiting a bigger star, which is called the transit method. For example, Kepler-186 is a star. Scientists were able to see that it has five planets orbiting the star. And for the very first time, we found a planet that's very similar in size like Earth. And it also has the habitable zone, which it is, this is the very first planet that is found in the habitable zone. How soon can we get there, right? Tomorrow. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, if we uh, wish it. <laughs> we'll go on uh, Jeff Bezos' uh, penis rocket. <laughs> <laughs> it's 500 light years away only. Uh, <laughs> so <laughs> I think this is a good part or a good time, I should say where we have to pay particular attention to diction. When scientists say, oh, this is an Earth-like size, we have to remember they said size and not Earth-like because they don't really know exactly what is all on there. In the Milky Way, it has 200 to 300 billion stars. Thanks to Kepler telescope, it's been confirmed that the majority of these stars do have planets and planetary systems. One to five billion planets in our Milky Way alone. Jose is going to drop some knowledge in a little bit about more information on that. I will attempt to at least. (laughs) I'm sure you will do fine. (laughs) There's a really cool telescope called Hubble Extreme Deep. I don't want to lose anyone here. I recognize Hubble Extreme Deep. Sounds a wee bit porny. 
Balls deep. Balls yeah. deep, yeah. <laughs> Balls deep extreme. <laughs> no, no. Is this called Hubble Extreme Deep Field? An extreme is spelled with an X instead of E-X. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, it really is. Oh, it is? Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so it, it stared at a really boring part of the sky and very faint. It didn't look like anything exciting for about 50 days. And so far, it is the deepest image of the universe that has been taken up to 2018. This helped provide the estimation of the 100 billion stars in our galaxies alone. This, I don't know how you feel about, but I think that is just sounds unfathomable. And keep in mind, this is just what's observable. Who knows what's outside of that range beyond detection? Quickly, other tools that are being used, spectroscopy. It basically is the analysis of light, and that determines what kind of gases are in the atmosphere for these other exoplanets. Scientists look for oxygen. Again, this is thinking very terracentric is what they, uh, the word that they used, meaning, well, it's got to be like us, like Earth. So we got to look for oxygen because it's the key to life. It's the key to life here. So that's kind of what they're basing their search off of. And with that said, I think this is a good time for Jose to drop some knowledge on the Drake equation. I was going to ask if any of them search for methane, just in case there are- Cows? No, I was going to say if there's intelligent life form that's lactose intolerant. Oh, I know they, they have found methane in other, in other uh, planets for sure. <laughs> right. So I'll drop the knowledge nugget, as Isela says. Knowledge nugget. About the Drake equation. Yo, yo. Right after Ooh. we return from a quick commercial break. <laughs> Starting out your day on the right foot is crucial to ensure you have a great day. And CC Jitters is here to make sure that day stays great. Serving up everything you need from that trusty cup of coffee brewed from 100% Arabica beans to our famous Bibacinos. Take a walk or run on the wild side with our specialized drinks like the Flash, Cicada, Killer Frost or Zoom. Or if you need an extra shot of caffeine, the Espresso is sure to wake you up. Stop by at any of our central city locations. There's sure to be one by you. We're also located in the Windsor Heights, Petersburg, and Moundsview areas. Not a CC's Jitters nearby? No sweat. Hit up one of our vending machines, serving up our best-selling cappuccino, latte, espresso, or decaffeinated coffees. Follow us on the socials to sign up for our monthly trivia nights, where the winner walks away with a $75 Jitters gift card. Welcome back, everybody. So I saw you drinking some coffee in the background, Isela. Was that some Jitters coffee? It is actually just green tea. So, oh, yeah. Sadness. I know. I'm boring. <laughs> <laughs> Not by your dance moves, girl, because you were getting all girl. into it right now. <laughs> I was doing the little wavy hand thing again. Mm, mm, mm. You're doing the little worm in the background? <laughs> no. We need to <laughs> figure out what it's called. It's like the wave. Maybe it's called the wave because the worm was like the, the, the one you lay down. Yeah, you were laying down doing the little. <laughs> Oh, my God. Mentiroso. How you lie, sir. <laughs> so now that you've explained the Fermi's paradox, 
and we know a little bit about the contradiction between the lack of evidence for intelligent life and the high estimates for the probability of intelligent life, I think that's a good preparation for the Drake equation. The Drake equation is probably the most famous attempt to explain Fermi's paradox. And no, we're not referring to Canadian rapping sensation Drake, although he'll always be Jimmy from Degrassi to me. We're referring to astronomer Frank Drake. According to an article titled Drake Equation by Seth Shostak on the SETI Institute website, Drake created the Drake Equation in 1961 to serve as the agenda for the first SETI Institute meeting. One of our favorite astrophysicists was at this meeting, Isela. Do you want to take a guess at who was representing the APs? I'm going to guess Carl Sagan for 300. (laughs) (laughs) You are absolutely right. Carl Sagan. None other than the legendary Carl Sagan was there in, in attendance. Now, being that the SETI Institute's mission is to find life in the universe, the Drake equation is a way to quantify the probability of actually accomplishing this. So it was an appropriate topic for their first meeting. It kind of put everybody on the same page. Now, the SETI Institute claims that the Drake equation is the second most famous equation in science after E equals MC squared. While that might be true, it's nowhere near as easy to recite. Are you able to recite it from memory, Isela? No, there's like six or seven different parts. I, I, I watched, uh, which I have to say, if you guys are really like into this topic, you guys have to check out the World Science Festival. Uh, there's one about aliens and it's about an hour and a half long. Trust me, it doesn't feel like an hour and a half. It goes by so quickly, but they do cover the Drake equation. But no, it, it was so long. Yeah, no, I don't blame you. <laughs> I had to look at a brain stuff video called, What is the Drake Equation? to help me explain the actual equation. And it was presented by Christian Bale doppelganger, Josh Clark, from one of my favorite podcasts, Stuff You Should Know. So thanks to Josh Clark, let me read to you the equation, the way it's meant to be read. Then I'll explain what each part of that equation means, because initially, I looked like the meme of the guy with all the equations floating around his head <laughs> when I read it and tried to make sense of it. Yeah. It's been way too long since I've been in college, and my mind is starting to decay. So this is the way the equation is read. N equals R star times F sub P times N sub E times F sub L times F sub I times F sub C times L. Wow. So WTF does that mean? (laughs) W sub TF. (laughs) I don't know what that means. W sub TF. Yeah, it's because you were doing all the subs. Oh, the subs. Yeah. <laughs> okay, okay. <I> got it. <laughs> all right. And we're back, everybody. <laughs> yes, yeah. <laughs> it took me a minute. It's okay. Okay, so N stands for the number of intelligent civilizations we could possibly detect. R star is the rate of star formation. Astrophysicists have determined that three solar stars worth of mass form into stars each year. So this could be one giant star that is the same mass as three of our suns or 10 smaller stars that are the same mass as three of our stars. Since our sun is pretty average, as Isela told us earlier, we can substitute our star with a three and be pretty confident that that is correct. F sub P is a fraction of those stars that have planets that orbit their stars. N sub E is the number of planets capable of supporting life, the planets in the Goldilocks zone. These are also known as exoplanets, 
and astronomers have been discovering these types of planets with great frequency lately, and it's possible that there could be billions of these exoplanets in the Milky Way alone. We do know with confidence that there are at least 3,400 exoplanets in the Goldilocks zone capable of supporting life, so we can substitute N sub E with 3,400. F sub L is a fraction of those exoplanets where life evolves. We only know with certainty that life has evolved on Earth, but since we're not looking to communicate with ourselves, we're unable to calculate this number. F sub I is the fraction of that life that develops intelligence. We're still trying to find that even our, on our own planet. <laughs> <laughs> F sub C is a fraction of that life that develops a form of communication that we can detect. The hotline bling, if you will. Oh. And much like that song, that civilization doesn't appear to be DTF since they're not ringing in our phone. <laughs> Everybody, please Google DTF because that's really funny. <laughs> also, that song, not really mad about that song. Um, I've only seen the memes. I don't think I've actually heard the song itself. Well, skip it because I know you won't like it. But as somebody who likes pop, I actually like the song. <laughs> I like pop too. Well, you prove me right or wrong. I better give me these. All right. We'll listen to it. We'll make a reaction video. Actually, no, we're, we won't do that. <laughs> we'll get all copyrighted issues. <laughs> Speaking of copyrighted issues, our uh, video on YouTube on us doing the Apple Beast dance was actually taken down due to copyright. Oh, sorry, guys. Those a-holes. We have spared you, actually. The gods have spared you. <laughs> Although you can still find our reels on Instagram and on TikTok. Those are still up. They haven't been taken down yet. Yay. <laughs> the final um, variable is L, which is the average length of time that life uses a form of communication that we can detect. This can be because they evolve to the point that they communicate by something other than blasting radio waves into space or because they've gone extinct. So now that we know what the Drake equation stands for, how can we apply it? So at the time of the first SETI Institute meeting, the only number that was known for certain was R star, which is the rate of star formation. They chose what is referred to as the freshman rate for all the other numbers. In other words, they chose one for all the other variables, but there was one big problem. There was no way that they could figure out what L was. At that point in time, humans had only been blasting radio waves into space that could conceivably be detected by another civilization for less than a century. There were many questions, how long would civilizations use radio signals to communicate? How long does a civilization last before they destroy themselves? Due to us not being able to calculate L, it's hard to really apply this equation in any way that's meaningful. Since then, scientists have been able to say with confidence that N sub E is 3,400, but they didn't even have that number back in 1961. So what do you think Frank Drake did to get around not knowing what L was? I'm assuming he probably estimated lowballed a figure very close actually well before i get to that every time i say frank drake i can't help but imagine him wearing a cape looking extravagant <laughs> like a wizard <laughs> yeah i imagine him looking like fucking leon mandrake even though i know what frank drake looks like <laughs> i do too i'm like he just looks like a regular old grandpa with, with white hair <laughs> going back to l since uh, we have no idea what L is, Frank Drake pretty much tossed his formula aside and suggested that N was 10,000. He came up with that number 
assuming that new societies capable of transmitting a signal to us are produced at an interval of one per year, and each society enjoys an average lifetime of 10,000 years. So at any given time, it's always 10,000. So does this mean that Drake's equation is useless? Not at all. On the contrary, it's simple, elegant, and makes a lot of sense. It's just that science hasn't progressed enough that we're able to figure out what the other variables are. But once we do, that equation will paint a very clear picture. And scientists are actually working hard to figure it out. Progress has already been made. In the 60 years since the Drake equation was introduced, we know with pretty good certainty what N sub E is. And the SETI Institute has 100 scientists working on nearly 100 topics related to figuring out each of the remaining variables in the Drake equation. And since it seems like they're taking a brute force attempt at solving this, hopefully they will be able to solve this equation in our lifetime, or at least give us a clearer picture of how many intelligent extraterrestrial life we have the potential of communicating with. Now, uh, was there anything that I missed or anything that you wanted to add, Isela? The World Science Festival, they did specify all the scientists on the panel. There was a good, I want to say five of them. They all were in agreement that we were probably within a lifetime of knowing if there is life out there. And Fermi's paradox won't be a paradox no more. Yes. It, that part I thought was really, really exciting. Just because we want to know, are we alone? Are we not alone? Either way, both have really serious, big implications. Yes. Hopefully this happens within my lifetime. I figure I have about 10 more years to go. <laughs> so I hope those scientists wow. start cranking out those variables pretty quickly. <laughs> <laughs> 10 years is, that's not a lot of time, sir. <laughs> Yeah, I tell myself that every day when I look at myself in the mirror. <laughs> On the upside, you probably have enough money to, you know, to live off of by the time you retire, because you're never going to retire. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I should just spend everything that I have in my retirement fund. I'm never going to use it. No, no, that's not exactly what I meant. That's Great idea. <laughs> right? Now I know what you're saying. Thanks. <laughs> Now, unfortunately, I wasn't able to find any fun facts about the Drake equation, but I was able to locate a few fun facts about aliens. The article is called 20 Things You Didn't Know About Aliens by Jason Stahl at Discover Magazine. Most of those weren't very interesting, sadly, kind of like me, so I picked the best four. <laughs> okay. Alan Chaney, a psychologist at the University of Waterloo in Ontario, says that those who believe they've been up by aliens are often prone to experience sleep paralysis. And if you haven't heard our podcast on sleep paralysis, you should give it a listen. We talk about it in that episode. Right, Isela? Very interesting. I loved it. In space, no one can hear you... Scream. True. But in this case, nobody can hear you sneeze. Streptococcus mitis, a bacterium that infects the nose and throat, was inadvertently sent to the moon aboard the Surveyor 3 probe. The bugs were still alive when Apollo 12 astronauts retrieved the probe's camera two and a half years later. Can you believe that? I want to say I do believe it. I know that there is this universal pact that we have, like a global pact with everybody, all these other countries that say we're not going to try to, you know, get our microbes into, you know, the outer space. But I know that that has... Uh, that has not always been kept. Yeah, because then we'll have a war of the world situation. 
spoiler alert for anybody that hasn't read a book that's like a hundred years old. (laughs) (laughs) So perhaps the earliest UFO sighting occurred in 1450 BC when Egyptians saw bright circles of light in the sky. Some UFO obsessives interpret Ezekiel 1 in the Bible as a UFO report. Mm. On September 30th, 2006, the French Center for National Space Studies beamed Cosmic Connection or Cosmic Connection. (laughs) (laughs) That's very French. (laughs) You need to be puffing on a cigarette. (laughs) It's okay. We don't have any French listeners as far as I know. So (laughs) maybe we'll we'll edit that part out when we have some French (laughs) listeners. I know. So, Cosmic Connection. (laughs) A TV program aimed at extraterrestrials at a sun-like star called Arai, 45 light years from Earth. And this video should reach them in 2051. Did they take into account, this is just a question, did they take into account how that star is moving? So, for example, it's like when you're playing football and you're the quarterback, you have to send the signal to where it's going to be later and not to where you see it now, because we're seeing a picture in like in time, back in time. I'm pretty sure the French Center for National Space Studies took that into consideration. I would hope so. Okay. That's very interesting. Because that's actually one of the biggest problems when it comes to time traveling, because it's not only figuring out how are you going to get to your destination, but it's like where in space Earth was at the time that you travel, because uh, like you said, things in space continually move. So If you were to say, oh, I'm just going 20 years into the past, you'll end up like 20 years, like in the middle of space. I see what you're saying. Yeah. Very cool. So 2051, that's uh, 30 years. That's only 30 years from now. Yeah. Sadly, I won't be alive to see that. (laughs) That's awful. (laughs) And since Isela told me to be quiet, (laughs) we hope that you enjoyed the show and that you join (laughs) us again next week. If you're enjoying the show, leave us a review, tell a friend and subscribe. Wherever fine podcasts are sold. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter at GreetingsTAC. Email us at GreetingsTAC at gmail.com. Or leave us a voicemail at 915-317-6669. If you're naughty and have a story to share with us. (laughs) Or nice and you have a story to share with us. That'll work too. That's our personal hotline bling. (laughs) You like how I tied it all together? Yeah, I do.